0: Hey, uh, we just finished up a series that we had gone through on the, the prodigal son. It was a good series. It uh, tells us that summer is kind of coming to a close because we're, we're getting into a series now, kind of a mini series, next three weeks, just talking about kind of where we're leaning into um, uh, for this fall. And one of the things, you know, uh, community is such an important piece of who we are as God's people and we're going to be talking about that in the next uh, several weeks. And you may think that you know you have you have community down, you know kind of what it's about and all that. And um, I'd encourage you not to skip out over the next three weeks just because uh, there may be some things that you hadn't thought about. Um, we usually try and bring those up. so but um, community really ends up, it's that it's that foundation, that baseline from which everything else comes out. I mean, it's, it's where our worship comes because we're a community, we, we, we share life. We share life with Christ together. And so when we come together to worship, it makes sense because we share that life together. That's what the basis, what a community is. It's the basis, the foundation of the work that we do when we go into the world together to make Jesus known. Um, and it's, it's such an important piece of what God has invited us into. And so we want to find out about that. And so uh, plan on being here the next several weeks, culminating in our breakfast, uh, breakfast picnic worship over at, at Goddard Park. Um, I had some people ask, they said, so um, do we need to bring something or is there going to be food? And so we've tried to say it enough. Um, yes, it's a picnic. Bring food. And, and for, you know, kind of like a potluck to share with everybody else. Bring your favorite breakfast stuff. And uh, we're going to do breakfast together and, and do worship in the park. And so um, that should be fun. So I hope you guys are excited about that. Um, about 100 years ago, uh, scientists were looking out in the night sky and they started, they were using, you know, they were finding that they had uh, better and better equipment. So bigger and bigger telescopes, more clear and clearer images that they were working with. And they began to realize some of the things that we have been calling stars, they, they're not really stars. Now, early on, they found out that some of them were these things called planets. Um, they didn't quite understand what those were. They still were hanging up there somehow. But then as they were looking deeper and deeper, they'd found that some of these weren't just stars. They were I mean, these were whole galaxies. They weren't even in our galaxy. They, they found out they were separate from us. They were massive, bunch of stars of their own. And, and that they were, now this all seems elementary to us, but back then it was like, wow. And, and what they found too, about 100 years ago, they found that these galaxies, and the, the reason they knew they were separate from us was because they were moving away from us at enormous speeds. And so it, it, pretty soon the Slowly, that the impact of that, the, the, the meaning of that kind of sunk in implications. And they, they realized, you know, we're not just a part of a solar system. We're not just a part of galaxy. We're part of this universe. And this universe is just expanding. It's massive, but it's expanding. It's growing. Um, you know, because everything's expanding away all directions. And so they started realizing that. And then it wasn't too long after that, that somebody... It, they came up with the question, well, what if? What if we took all that and we rewound it to find out where this thing started? And that's where this idea of you know we, we've all heard this, but where the idea of the Big Bang uh, came from, which is that the universe somehow began at this this one point that was this this singularity that had enormous just energy, just all compacted, and then it just expanded at an enormous rate and became over the billions of years became this. Uh, all, that we, all that we know and all that we see in our universe. Um, so that was, they, they, they figured out, well, that must be how it began. So the universe begins with this enormous expansion and dispersion of all this energy, just scattering of all this energy. Well, about 100 years before that, there were these uh, chemists and these uh, uh, physicists who were, who, they were trying to figure out the nature of the energy in our universe. And uh, they began to articulate what have, become, have come to be known as the, the three laws of thermodynamics. And, and the second of those laws says that energy, basically, any, any system in our universe that uses and has energy, which is all, all of them, but they're all tending towards, they're all moving towards this place where everything will become this equilibrium where everything is kind of, all the energy is spent. It's just balanced out where nothing is working and creating, nothing is just kind of finally at rest, and it's all moving towards that. So that's the end of what they see as our universe. And so our current understanding, scientifically, of where we are is we're somewhere between this huge, enormous dispersion of energy at the beginning and the final, ultimate dispersion where all that you have is all this expended kind of energy that nothing's left, of, nothing's kind of in operation anymore. The Big Bang... What would you call this? <laughs> the big blah? You know, I mean, <laughs> the big empty, something. Not empty, just, just not, nothing. Now, um, the thing is, while this is mainly, especially the end one, the thing that we need to know is that this has all kinds of implications because while it's talking about energy, energy makes up everything in our universe. And so you're not just talking about kind of that there are things that are hanging out there, just not moving. Everything's scattered. Everything becomes, it just becomes a big kind of nothing, unmoving nothing. That's our current understanding. And somehow we're between this and that. The question that comes up in that for me is this. Why, if we're moving from and energy, it doesn't have a personality. It doesn't have a mind. It doesn't have intentions or purposes. It's just energy. And so why if we're moving from this kind of personless, mindless, purposeless energy, just scattering. So those are the big things. It's purposeless and it's kind of scattering. And we're moving towards an endless, meaningless, ultimate scattering and depletion of that. Why in the middle do we find in the midst of all that scattering that where we find really the interesting part of this universe is where things actually gather, right? Where they start, where energy starts coming together and kind of, in fact, the most interesting things that happen in this universe are when things start coming together like matter and like life and like beings with self-awareness and And you start having this gathering of energy in the midst of a system that doesn't seem to have any tendency towards that whatsoever. Say, why? Why does that happen? How does that happen? What's driving that? Because that seems really out of character, doesn't it? For this beginning and this end. Say, what's going on? That's the question. I think we find the answer. I think we don't, I don't think that we find the answer necessarily in science. I think we find the answer in the passage that we're reading today. We're reading from Genesis 1, verse 26 through 27. Stand with me as we read this. It not only has an answer for this question, it has incredible implications. If these things are true, if this truly is a description of that creation, then this has implications for us too, how we live, who we are. How we see ourselves, what's the purpose of our lives? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God is at the end of his description of his, his creation of the universe and of, of this. He's already created the sun, moon, and stars. He's already created light and he's created animals and plants and the seas and the air. And, and, and then it says, and then God said, let us make humankind in our image. According to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God starts out by saying, Let us create us. It's interesting introduction, right? What that means is that this universe was created by a God who had connection, had relationship, had an awareness of not just a me, but had a, an awareness of relationship embedded in his very being. Let us create. That means that while science has been formulating kind of a, a, a description of the vehicle that carries you know, energy along, and it's been developing this, this timeline for how, how long it takes for these things to happen. They develop the description, but God's really telling us the purpose. He's telling us the reason. Because what we find is that there is a we in the weave of the universe. It's not just a me. It's not just an I. It's not just a nothing. There's a we that's behind this universe. There's an us and the purposes of why we're here and of what goes on around all of us. And the reality is, is that there is a triune God who created everything and he created everything to reflect his own nature, his own character, this character of community, this character of when things come together that you wouldn't expect how amazing things can come of it as he brings things together in this universe and he brings things together. So it's, not, it's no accident that in the middle that there's all this gathering and collecting and, and creation and intention and purpose being found in the middle of this beginning and this end. In fact, the beginning and the end just seem to be like a backdrop. They seem to be like laying the canvas out so God could draw our attention to the real purposes of what he's doing. Community. Community, connection. This universe is about connection because our God is about connection. Amen? This morning, the message is titled, it's in the fabric of the universe. Let's pray. Father, you have given us the picture that everything around us, all of creation is, is shouting your praise. Everything around us, the, the heavens are telling of your glory. That creation's telling of your glory, of your nature, of your character. But there are parts of that that sometimes we miss, that sometimes we pass by. And this morning, we just ask that you would focus our minds, that you'd focus our eyes and our hearts, that we would be paying attention to you and that your spirit would be here and he would be showing us, revealing, unveiling things that we need to know, that we need to see so that we could see, not just what this world is that we live in, but who you are, the one who created it and the reasons that you've made it this way. Because Lord, we need to know who we are. You have a high calling on us. You have an invitation that has invited us into the, your very life, your existence. And so Father, we need to know, we need to know what that means because that really does, it shows us, it tells us tells us what we're here for. We spend our whole lives sometimes running around mindlessly, aimlessly, as if all that this universe is, is purposelessness, mindlessness, moving towards meaninglessness. And God, we know it's more than that. So be here this morning, teach us from your word, shape our hearts and our minds to know you, to follow you with all that we are. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have a seat. So I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but in our culture, uh, we live in a culture that, that really uh, highly values individual freedom, right? Individual freedom, individuality, autonomy. And um, the problem is, is that we live in a universe that we find is wired for connection, is wired for it, 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 not just a tendency, but really connection and relationship are where everything makes sense, is where everything that's of any meaning happens within that. We find that even our own lives, you guys, we, we cannot make sense of our own lives if we just sit out on our own. We're constantly taking in cues from others. We're constantly asking for others to help us, help us understand what we're here for because we're a people of connection that are living in a universe that is all about connection. You know, if you look at even the smallest of things, you go down to the smallest that most of us can conceptualize. Some of you guys go beyond this, but you just take something like protons and electrons. You have protons and electrons. They're all the same, pretty much. They're just these particles that are basically made up. They're energized with a negative charge and several particles come together, but they're energized with a positive charge. That's, that's all they are. They all pretty much look the same. But man, when you put them together in different configurations, they make some very different stuff, right? We come up with the elements. We come up with these atoms that are these elements that are like the building blocks of everything we see. So if you put just one proton and one electron and they attract and they kind of link and they stay, when they come together, all of a sudden you got this hydrogen stuff and you're going, where did that come from? Cause if you look at those two particles, you're never gonna come up with hydrogen just by looking at it saying, I think these two will make that. No, you wouldn't come up with that. And then, and then if you had two and two or three and three, all of a sudden you're coming up with vastly different things. You're going, where did this come from? Cause they're all just electrons and they're all just these little tiny things that are charged one way or the other. And all of a sudden you're just coming up with this vast array, the whole periodic table. Of elements, and and then you take the elements and you put them together. You take something like a hydrogen, right? Hydrogen—that's this gas—and it—it just—you know—one of the things about hydrogen is this this kind of—you know—as a gas, just in its own state, extremely flammable. Found that out in several disasters that have happened over the course of history. Don't want to mess with hydrogen and fire. Don't want those two to come together because bad things happen. Same thing happens with oxygen. Oxygen is different than hydrogen. You got eight protons, eight electrons in this configuration. Makes a very different gas. Need oxygen to live, need some hydrogen, but really need oxygen a lot, right? We know this, but man, here's oxygen, flammable. I mean, these are the things we shoot rockets to the moon with, liquid forms of these gases, right? Put them together in the right ratio. And what do you come up with? What? What? Water, water is what we use to put out fire. Here you're dumping fire where you have two atoms of, of hydrogen, and one of oxygen, both of which would be flammable on their own. And you dump that on a fire and it puts it out. We wouldn't to guessed it, right? But that's how our world works. It's, it's like you take the most unusual, unexpected of things and you put them together and all of a sudden the most unusual and unexpected things happen and come of it. Why? Because our God wants to know that this world is not just a mindlessness moving to a meaninglessness. This world is all about what happens in the middle where the unexpected are brought together in unusual ways. How? How? How did it know? How did it create something that would come together and have any meaning whatsoever because of the God who's behind it, who knows that it's this thing called community, this thing called connection, this thing called relationship that makes anything meaningful happen. We find out that this, again, that this universe was created. And we say, well, why? Why does, it, why does anything meaningful happen in this thing called community? Because this, this universe was created by a God who's a we, who's not just a me. He wants us to know how important that we is that connected that multiple in oneness is. Now the people of Israel, they had that passage in Genesis one, they had it for a long time. In fact, so the first five books of the, of the Bible are called the, the five books of Moses, are referred to as that because Moses wrote these things down at about the time that the people um, were leaving Egypt sometime in the course of his life. So he's writing these five books down generally. But the history that came from Genesis, that history was, that was traveling with the, the Hebrew people long before Moses wrote it down. It came in their oral tradition because they, they knew about Abraham. They knew about the patriarchs before then. They knew about the flood. They knew about this, but Moses wrote it down. He said, yeah, this is our history. And then this is the history after the Exodus. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the last the last book. So they had these for, for many generations. They had this history, and then they had this, these five books of the law, the law that God had give, given, the kind of description to make, it, make them his people. At the beginning, here we are in Genesis 1, God says, you know what? The God, your God is a we. Let us make mankind. Let us make humankind in our image. And he created a them because it was our image creating them in our image. You get to Deuteronomy though, and you get to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, and God says very clearly, listen to this, Israel. Listen to this. Yahweh is your God and Yahweh is one. Us. Okay, I'm lost right? He's a we, but he's a one. How does that work? And that became the the question that would come up well over the course of, and, and then over the course of the history of God's people dealing and interacting with God, they would meet this God that seemed like Very different people at times, but still saying he's just this one God. So, on the one hand, you have Abraham who's visited, and when he's visited, he's not visited by one uh, person coming around telling him that, you know, this one being that's telling him about the son that's going to be born, but it's actually these three visitors that show up, and you go, huh. That's funny that God would show up as three visitors and not just as the one. And then, and then you, but then you have Moses who meets God and, and God says, and you know what? No one can see my face. And yet there are other times, like people are running into this, this, uh, one who, re- who calls themselves, or they call the the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, and they seem to be able to see him. You know, they they look at him and they don't, and they're always scared because they're like, oh, I'm gonna die because I've seen his face and you said we can't, but here I am looking at your face. And so you have the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord that doesn't seem to be, they they don't know what else to call him, but an angel, but other angels don't accept worship, but this one allows them to worship and says it's even appropriate because there's something about this angel that's more like a, a direct person from God himself, right? And, and this goes on and on and you have these various uh, interactions. There's a captain of the Lord's army that Joshua interacts with before they go into cross the Jordan. And then this, this guy, Jesus, shows up and he says, you know what? I'm, I'm actually, I'm the son of God. I'm actually God in human form. I'm God incarnate. He says, I'm the son of God, and, and he receives worship. He doesn't turn it away either. So he's not just a man. He's not just a good man. He's not just an angel. And, and we look at all this and we go, well, how many gods have we got? Deuteronomy says one. And so we, we come to find out that God starts, he shows us and he starts, our, he, starts, he starts zeroing in on it. We also have the spirit of God that comes over and he brings wisdom and energy and strength and, and insight and revelation. But, but we start to find out that we have this one God, but still three persons. We go, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know. But somehow in eternity, somehow beyond this space and time, where if you have one person, they can't fit into the same space and time as the other person, right? We can't occupy. We can't all sit on one chair. It'd get really crowded, right? Right? Because we don't share space that way, but somehow outside of this space and time, somehow in eternity, this one God, who's one essence, is the one God. Here, O Israel, Yahweh is your God. He's one, and yet there's Father, there's Son, and there's Holy Spirit. There's the father who is above all, who rules over all things and he's in all and and through all. There's the son who is constantly making him known, who literally took on human flesh so that he could come and live among us to make known what Colossians says, he made visible the invisible God. He became the visible person, the visible image of the invisible God. And then there's the Holy Spirit who actually comes and takes uh, takes up residence within us So that not only can we be aware of and know the presence of God, but that the presence of God would not just be known to us, but through us. That somehow through us, he can make himself known. Three persons, one God. Now I, that's hard math to do. I don't, (laughs) but what we see is, we see the we of Genesis and the one of Deuteronomy and he says, Those are both right. And somehow in this universe, doesn't it make sense then? If that's who our God is, if that's the God who created all things, wouldn't it make sense that he would then make the same, the same character known through all that he created? Wouldn't it make sense that from the very smallest of parts, like, like um, protons and electrons, that he would make he would make this this awareness that when you bring things together when they're they're not just a one thing standing alone but when various things are one thing now that there's a whole there's a whole dynamic where that, that's, that's really where the the action of the universe is that's where the that's where all everything happens is in this space called community in this place called connection from the smallest of pieces to the largest of pieces like our galaxies from the most non-sentient rocks and trees and and even water to the most complex and living, self-aware like human beings, that there would be some sense that this nature, this character, and in our case, the very image of God would be stamped, would be made known, that we would see his fingerprints on everything around us in this universe. And apparently, in the case of humanity, I mean, it's actually been there since the beginning. If we read about Adam, Adam's, Adam's created, and what's the, one of the first things that God says, he says he creates Adam, and he looks at him, he says, it's not good that he's alone. He had said everything else was good. Sun, moon, stars, it's good. But he looked at Adam, he says, it's not good that he, the image bearer of God, should be alone. So instead he created Eve from Adam so that, the, and he created, in Genesis one, it said male and female, he created them. I don't know if you guys have discovered this, but male and female, those are very different things, right? They come with very different personalities, very different set of, of chemicals running through their bodies, very different things going on there. And he said, you know what? If you take uh, these very different, and you put them together, he says, that's going to create this whole new thing that wasn't there before with a whole new set of capabilities that they didn't have on their own. He said, that's the point. is because I'm going to show in them, I'm going to show my very image of this us that's really a one. It's gonna show an us that becomes a one. And all of a sudden, he even allows them to reflect his, even his ability to create life within that that us becoming one. We look at that and then God, he, he goes out from there. He, beyond that, that combination, all of a sudden he starts bringing, bringing together these, these different gatherings of people. So you have tribes and you have nations and you have clans and you have these just growing family groups and each one of them taking on a different personality as a whole. And, and so you have these very different sets of people and very different sets of like families and couples and individuals and they're all coming together and all of a sudden these communities some of them became these these um shepherding kind of nomads that would wander out and some of them become these settlers who plant farms and stuff and some of them build cities up and some of them build these ships and they go traveling over exploring the oceans so even these these gatherings of larger they the, the not because any one of them had the ability or the insight to do this, but because together they were able to all of a sudden do things that they couldn't do on their own where the, the, the we, the us becomes this one thing that functions kind of more as this, this one body. And then out of, those, out of all those, those combinations, out of all those nations, then there was God's people and God's people that he had, he had begun with, with just, with just Abraham, just just. Abraham and Sarah, and, and then you see them grow into this whole tribe of, and then a nation of, of 12 tribes with these very different individuals. And he said, If you will come together, and if you, will, if you will come together, but also if you will not just be with each other in this, but if you will be my people, then I'm going to show the world something they've never seen before. So that means that you're gonna have to submit your your heart and your mind and your lives under this one one character of God, this one law that I give. I want you to, to put yourselves under that, to be shaped by it, to be formed by it so that you can show my glory in this world. You know, one of the things that we often mistake when we read the Old Testament, when we read those things and we see all these rules and we think it's like this individualized ethic that was meant to take place, that they just kind of, they check all the boxes and then they can go before God and say, God, I'm good enough. You know, I'm good enough to get in. Sorry about those guys, but at least I'm good enough. But one of the things that you, you don't have to read very deeply, you start seeing that this, this law of God was meant to influence a nation of people. If everybody's not in on it, it's not going to work. You especially see that in places like the economics. God said, if you will follow these economic guidelines, if you'll invest in the right proportions and keep for yourself the right proportions and, and give to me the right proportions of what you have and you, you'll let this all kind of be working together as a nation, if you'll all do that, all of you will be taken care of. All of you will be prospering. All of you will be covered. All of you will be brought into this, this kind of, this, this place economically that you'll be set you'll be blessed enormously. But, but if you don't, you know, if you don't, if you pull out of it, if anyone pulls out of it, then the whole thing kind of collapses because this isn't just an individualized ethic. This is, I'm calling you into community. I'm calling you to be, to be to not just live for yourself, but live for, for this whole thing, for those who are around you as well. We see the same thing happen when the people of Israel, they first went in the promised land and and one of the first battles was Jericho. And they, as a whole, as a nation, they walk around Jericho and they walk around and they follow God's instructions and the walls fall down and they win. They shouldn't have won. You know, That was one of the strongest cities that was out there. They shouldn't have been able to, they just walk around and shout and the walls fall down. That's not supposed to happen. But God said, listen, if you'll be my people, you'll follow my instructions. This This is how it goes. But then, God said, you don't take anything from Jericho. You don't take anything for yourself. One guy, one guy says, "Who? those, you know, he went into a Levi's store and he said, those look good. And he saw, you know, this jewelry store. And he said, a couple of those look good. And he took them and he hid them in his tent. And the next time the people of Israel went out and they thought it was gonna be an easy battle because it was nothing like Jericho. That should have been impossible, but that happened. He goes out there and all of a sudden they're getting beat up and they go, why are we getting beat up? They're getting beat up because, <laughs> because it's one guy, because one guy, just one being out of step, it mattered. Because why? Because God wants, to, wants us to know how important it is to be the community, to be many, but be one. And then we have the church, Ephesians, Ephesians in the book of Ephesians it gives us an amazing picture of God bringing together these amazing people, all of the individuals who have, been, who have been sanctified, who have been redeemed, who have been forgiven, who have been renewed and recreated and transformed and empowered and, and gifted in many different ways, all very unique, all very much individuals, but it gives this picture of them coming together into what Ephesians calls this one new humanity, Ephesians 4 says this is one, kind of like Adam and Eve, it was this one new creation, the many and yet the one. And it calls them the body of Christ because it's not just about us being together with us, it's about us also being together with us, but also Jesus is in the mix. Jesus is a part, in fact, we've been brought into his community, not just he brought into ours We've been brought into his community and suddenly we're the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. And Ephesians 1 says that the church then becomes the fullness of him who fills all in all. It says that he can make himself known through us to this world. That when they see us, they don't see a bunch of individuals, they get to see Jesus. But that doesn't just happen. It happens when we intentionally, we we were intentionally brought into this connection and we give ourselves to that that community of what it means to be one with him, but one with his people, his body. He talks about us as one. That's why in the New Testament regularly it says, it says put away things like division and strife. Let things like forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation, let those be your goals always. Get those things out of you that are things like jealousy and selfish ambition and trying to be this autonomous one that stands out from everyone else is the most important. No, be the community. Be like the one who gave and he came and he he served us all so that we could be brought into his his life, into his community. Be like that. Do whatever it takes to make sure that the community of, of God is held together. When you come to this table, that's why he said, check yourself, make sure that you're not coming to this table saying, I'm part of this. When you have things in your heart that are very in in direct opposition to all that that stands for, it's this call to be his people. Because the community is a big deal to God. Why? (laughs) Because in this universe, he knows that he's created it so that he might show again that when you take the most unexpected, very different, Elements and pull them together when they become one. When they truly are united in purpose and in heart, that's when amazing things happen. It's not the bang at the beginning. It's not the dispersion at the end. It's what's happening when things are gathered in the middle. You know, we're just coming to the end of our summer of connection. We said at the beginning of the summer, I said, you guys... We're gonna set up a, uh, we're a short staff, so we're gonna set up one picnic and we want you guys to come be a part of it. We're all excited about that. But the reality is, is this is kind of on you guys. We wanna have a summer of connection. I said, I want you guys to think about who do you invite? Who do you not know? Reach out to somebody. Why did we do that? Because I knew this was coming. (laughs) We we needed a, a baseline to say, okay, where are we at? How are we doing? So how did we do? How many of you guys either have been a part or did some connecting this summer? I'm not even gonna have you raise your, okay, you can raise your hand. Okay, few hands are out there. Some of you guys are going, oh, I didn't, I meant to. Um, maybe you said, no, I, I, I didn't even mean to. I heard you say that, but I knew I was gonna be too busy to do any of that, right? You guys, if we have those thoughts in our heads, I can assure you, it's only because we do not realize how important this is. This is the stuff that makes up the very fabric of the universe. This is the stuff that reflects the very nature and image of God. I'm not asking you to just get together with some potlucks so that we can say, oh, we had a good time together. No, you know what God has said when he brings things together? You know what he does in his people when they come together? He continues to do his work to redeem, restore, and save the world. That's what he's doing when we get together. That's important. And so, okay, maybe we missed our opportunity this summer. You know what the great thing is? We have all of eternity to get good at it, right? We have the rest of time and then beyond to get good at this. Because this is what we're about. This is what he's about. This is the whole point. This is what Jesus was coming to save us into, was into the community of, that God had enjoyed beforehand, the community of his people that we've been invited into now. So what can we do? Well, going into the fall, I wanna encourage you guys to think about this. Because again, I'm gonna keep pushing this because it is. This is everything. I mean, we're, we're in a relationship with Jesus, but it's not just Jesus. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus. It's, it's Jesus as part of a Trinity, part of a community. And he's inviting us in, not just as us and everybody else, uh, too bad about them. No, he's inviting us in to be part of that. So what can we do? Well, I wanna encourage you this fall. I wanna encourage you this fall to continue. Okay, maybe we can't have as many barbecues once it starts snowing, but you can still, you can still reach out to people and say, hey, let's get a cup of coffee. You can still reach out to somebody you don't know and say, hey, why don't you come over to our house for some dinner? Or you can reach out to a couple of families and say, I don't think we know each other. Let's sit down and figure this one out. Let's be the body. Let's figure out what it means to be the people of God. So this fall, get involved in a small group. Two things here. One, get involved in a small group if you're not in one. We have Rooted, we have C3 groups, we have other studies that are going on. The other is this, is some of you guys, we don't have a whole lot of small groups to offer. You know why? Because some of you guys who could be leading those, you're not stepping forward to lead them either. But this is what we're about. So I wanna encourage some of you guys, if you look at your fall and you say, sometimes we have the excuse that we say, you know what, I think there there seems to be a lot going on, or I wanna keep my... My schedule open in case something important opens up. Right? That just means, we're, again, we're not valuing this the way that God values it. We could, this is probably the, one of the most important things we could be doing with our lives is making sure that we are being becoming more connected with one another as God's people and more connected together to him. One of the most important things that we could do. So this fall, lean into that. If you can lead a group, let us know because we'd love to open up a group because there's gonna be some people that wanna be a part of a group that aren't gonna have one. And, and our small group can't take 10 more people because we already got about 25. So second, this fall, you guys, if you can't be a part of a small group, be here. There's a national trend that has gone from, I know when I was growing up that we would show up to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, multiple times during the week, you know, And it got narrowed down to just once, just Sunday morning. They said, let's drop the rest of that stuff. So just Sunday morning. National trend is this. People consider themselves a regular part of a church if they attend once every six to eight weeks. We will not become a community if people are dodging in random variations of them once every six to eight weeks because they have too much other important stuff going on. God wants to make himself known through us to this world that needs to know about the invitation he has given them to be a part of his community. But we need to be a community very intentionally in order to even show that to people that this is (laughs) important. You guys, you know what I do when I go on vacation in the summertime, and this is a challenge a little bit, but it's also accountability for you guys. When I go on vacation on Sunday, I find a church to go to, and it's not because this is my job, It's not because uh, somehow I think it's a check mark that I'm gonna get a frowny face from God if I don't do it, right? I go because I know that God has said that when he pulls his people together, that's when things happen. And I know he has called me to be a part of that. So if I can't be here, I wanna be with his people somewhere because that's who I am That's what's the calling on my life. That's why I was called into Christ was to be a part of that community where God would make himself known. So yeah, there are gonna be times that you're not here, but there should never be a time that you're not finding out how can I be connected with God's people? How can I be connected with them in this world in a way that makes them known? Third thing is this. Some of you may not know God yet. You may not know Jesus yet. And not just know about him, not just know of him, not just believe in him. I mean, know him. Know him in the sense that he wants you. Know him like a, like a hydrogen atom knows a, uh, an oxygen atom when they come together to make water. Know him. Know him with bonds that are really hard to break. Know him. Some of us don't know God that way yet. We haven't taken up his invitation through Christ to be his own, to be transformed, to be born anew into his family. And you guys, that's where it starts. We don't get to make this community on our own. We make this community, we're formed into this community as we first, as we know him, as we're brought into relationship with him by simply receiving, accepting the invitation and saying, yes, God, I receive you for who you were always meant to be in my life, which is my Lord, my savior, the one who, who guides it, the one who holds it, that you are that. That's the place to start. That's the place where we find, you know, just like that hydrogen and oxygen, they come together and they go, what just happened? When, when we know God that way, that's when our lives start taking on that quality of what was that? And then we're brought into God's people and we find out what is that? Amen? Amen. You guys, we have a relational God. He's triune and he's all about community and his desire is to have a relationship with us, but his, rela- his desire is also for us to be his community. And the question is, how do we know that? Because it is literally woven into the fabric of the universe. Everywhere we look is shouting it at us. Says so the heavens declare the glory of God, this glory of his, of his just, community the father son holy spirit the, the very atoms shout it says that's what we were created for that's what we are invited into that's what we we're meant to be amen